lives that are beyond the grace or the faith that we have developed for ourselves. How many of you know we run into situations all the time, particularly when there are uh, people coming into the kingdom, people coming into the, the ways of God, and in the early season of coming into the ways of God, there can be a lot of struggle. How many of you would say amen to the fact that there's a bit of struggle there? As we are making the changes, we know the world should be operating one way, and it is operating a different way. Our lives aren't really tuned in. The mechanism of faith and the mechanism of the kingdom isn't really working that well in our lives. And we want to be able to, one of the predominant forces or factors that we need as, we, as the kingdom starts to sp spread back out into a pagan world, one of the forces that are going to be essential is how quickly can we get somebody from operating in the ways of the world to operating in the ways of the kingdom. Part of the apostolic ministry that all of you are involved in here at Victory, but also this ministry work that is going around the world uh, that really focuses on the life of the individual. How many of you know that, uh, you know, I'm, I got nothing against churches, I got nothing against buildings, I got nothing against organizations. I think those things are really valuable to keep the rain off our head. They, we keep safe environments to raise our children and all of those good things. I think that's really valuable. But that's not really what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about and has always been about raising up the life of the individual person. God wants every life transformed out of the ways of fear, dread, and selfishness into the ways of faith, hope, and love. Not just conceptually, not just mystically, you know, let's just pretend that we're all faith people, but we're really all going home full of fear. We really have become those people that are just full of faith. When we look at our lives, when we look at our future, it's bright. When we look at our, our, our expectancy of what's about to happen, it's just can't wait to get there. This is going to be phenomenal. But one of the key issues that we face is that transitional season. Uh, I think I've given you this example before. Uh, I used to race sailboats when I was young, and well, I am still young, as I'm sure you all just thought. But back in my teenage 20s years, I used to race sailboats, and one of the things that about a sailboat is, is that when you're going upwind, you can't go straight into the wind. You have to go a little bit off the wind this way or a little bit off the wind this way, and that's what creates the, anyways, poopity poopity. The thing about what happens when you are what they call tacking, which is when you take the boat from going this way and cross the wind and come to this way and you can go that, you know, that's how they race those things. You come to a place that's called head to wind, and at the place of head to wind, there's no pressure, there's no forward motion on the boat. The boat has lost all of its power. And a lot of the times, that's what happens in Christians' lives when we are moving from the one side, which is living a life based on the principles of fear, dread, and selfishness. How many of you think that the, the forces of fear, dread, and selfishness are completely powerless forces that never work at all? No, they are very powerful forces. Right, the, the force of fear, if I tell you that you stink, then I can easily sell you deodorant. That's how the whole world works. If I tell you that bell bottoms are out of style, skinny is back in style, I can get you to go buy my jeans just because you're afraid of being out of style or whatever. If I tell you the rest, that's how the whole world around us works and it's working very well. I can tell you that world of selfishness and all about me and these types of things is very powerful forces. And so we can actually become pretty skillful at using those forces. I don't, I, you know, to my own shame, I would tell you that in my life before I really got serious about the Lord, 
was a life of just figure out how the world works and work it. And if it means that I have to use fear, dread, and selfishness, I didn't even realize there was a real thing called faith, open love. I didn't, <laughs> I was, you know, anyways. The, but coming to the place then when you realize that you can skillfully learn those things and life can be going good for you, you know, if you're the guy that's the, got the biggest stick and the most money and the most connections, you're going to have a pretty decent life. And so we go from then meeting God and saying, God says, you know, this is a great life. Certainly the North American life can be an awesome life, but it's nothing compared to the life that you can live if you live it God's way and fill a faith, hope, and love and really live a meaningful life that, you know, is a valuable day to spend. Uh, as you make that transition, that season can be super difficult. And it can just, you know... Well, many, many of you know, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here. Many of you know that season can be tough. Yes, so what we want to talk about, one of the concepts of speeding up that journey is accessing, if you could imagine this sort of conceptually, accessing a grace, or perhaps better to say like a river that is being created by somebody else. So those people that have gone before you that have laid a river then if you want to just jump, like for example, if you have the Niagara River, you don't have to get to the falls from here. All you got to do is go over there and jump in the river. The river will take you to the falls, right? Because the river has been doing that now for thousands of years. It's already laid itself. It's already got its current. It's already got its flow. And that way you can just jump into it. It's sort of like that with understanding how do we step into that flow. And I say that this is an important topic for us to begin to discuss because I'm becoming more and more aware. You know, we can, we do this thing in Christianity. Probably one of the real values of, of church life is that you can kind of, even though you have to go to other places and, and get yourself involved in other things, you can kind of be focused on your church life and your church people and your family that's here and you can lose a little bit of touch of the world around you. How many of you say, you know what, sometimes you can do that. I discovered that I had done that this morning. I don't know if many, how many of you join us for prayer on Periscope in the morning? How many of you read the comments instead of praying along? Any of you do that? <laughs> well, we get, we, you know, this is an evangelistic work that we're involved in here. And so we're just blasting it out there for any and anybody to begin to have kind of tune in with us. And lots of people are tuning in and lots of people got lots of stuff to say. And so you really become aware of the level of, I'm going to use a kind of a new English word, paganality that exists in the world around us. People just, like, I'm from a different world, right? I'm raised a, an altar boy. I'm a devout, fa my family's a devout Catholic. And, you know, I've sort of been involved at some level of the God thing all of my life. Uh, not really evidence, uh, you know, to the, a lot of the craziness. Even when in my teenage years, I spent most of it, as I just said, on a sailboat. So I didn't have the opportunity to get into a lot of trouble. I mean, we did our own share of it. But nothing like you can get into. And so... Uh, I guess I'm a little bit out of touch sometimes with what's the real heart of real people who live in our real world. And uh, as these people now understand that I so believe that we are standing already in the shores uh, and the flow of what is this next season of revival, I know, I mean, B Bishop Tommy Reed came to me probably, this would be a year ago now, 
and we were talking about some of these same forces, you know, to do with how our social systems and culture and the things that we do and say and believe and think about and make YouTube videos about. And, you know, he was saying to me, you know, do you really, do you think the kingdom is going to be uh, relevant in what is now a pagan world? That the world, by and large, other than us church folk, the world has kind of gone a little bit astray. And he finished off, I think it was a bit rhetorical because he answered his own question. And he said, well, in the early days in the book of Acts, uh, that was Christianity in a pagan world. And I believe that we are really coming back not only in the restoration of the kingdom and the fivefold ministry, the, all of those great things about the empowering of the saints, about the, you know, the manifestation of the kingdom of God as defined by the word of God existing on the inside of a human being, becoming powerful, supernatural. Be That's all happening right now in the kingdom at exactly the same time as all of the religious structures of the world are sort of crumbling around at our feet. Uh, empowering the world really to go into this very, very pagan way of thinking about things, very naturalistic, very science-based, very intellectual, very all of these type of things. Um, and I really believe that now watch all of those two, those two worlds as they are coming into a collision course with one another, that what we have to do as a ministry, those people that love God and really believe God, you've read the back of the book, we, you already know we don't lose this game, and so we have to be the ones that prepare ourselves for the, neck, the, the crops of people, the, the, the seekers that have maybe been looking for God. Everybody looks for God. Don't, don't be surprised. Even atheists at one time in their life, that's probably why they are atheists, unless they're educated atheists, is that they have looked for God, couldn't find him, so just said that he wouldn't, didn't exist. Right. And so everybody looks for God. Everybody has a hole. Everybody w reaches upwards like that as a human being. Uh, and I believe that when religion moves out of the way, uh, the structures, organizations, and all of those type of things, that is going to make room for people then as they go and look around for God, they're maybe going to find a spot where you can actually go and meet him and encounter him in real life. And we need to be ready for people, the, the, the masses of people that are going to be soon making that journey. Right. I said all that to say that this concept now that we're going to talk about, maybe over the next few weeks, I'm not going to be teaching all of that. I think this is the only session that I do. But different people that are going to be talking about this concept of honor and understanding how honor works and what is the biblical purpose for honor. Now, a lot of the times, this is always the problem when we talk about honor, is that, okay, now Ian's going to talk about how many people or how well you're doing at honoring him as a person and that's the purpose of honor, whether it be God's needing us to honor him because he's so awesome and you're so not. And so he wants you to honor. That's completely, get that, wipe that away from your way of thinking. If we go into the book of Mark, of course, we have to, we don't, we're not going to, well, I guess we are going to start there. In the book of Mark chapter four, shocking to all of you, it talks to us about the kingdom of God. And there's only a couple of times, we've, we've spoke about this before, there's a couple of times when God talks to us about the nature of the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of times it says, when Jesus was speaking, he says the kingdom of God is near. And it's little descriptions like that about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. But in Mark chapter 4 is what the only place in the Bible where it talks to us about the nature or the, the rules that operate in the kingdom of God. Now, remember when I, when I spoke last time, the kingdom of God is the entire existence of all that is. And this is where God lives. Now, that's, this is a, 
little bit of a visual representation. Imagine how enormous the dimensions are where God lives. Inside of that kingdom of God is this area here, which is called the kingdom of heaven. That's also a created place. In the very beginning of your Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. So heaven is all where you're going to go after you pass from this world is a place that was created by God when he created this natural realm. And then there is this natural realm, which is called the kingdom of man, which is this tiny little speck right here that we know as the natural universe. That gives you a little bit of an idea of scale. And so all of these things, the principles of the kingdom of God operate in the kingdom of heaven, and the principles of, the, of heaven operate in earth. Those laws that, are, are, that, are, that come through the dimensions into the world that we live in those laws operate in whichever dimension they are. Does that make any sense about that? Yeah. So if there is gravity in earth, then there, or excuse me, if there's gravity in the kingdom of God, there will be gravity in earth. Because earth lives in the realm where there is gravity. Do you understand that? I don't know whether there is or not, but let's say there is. Then those dimensions, the, 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 the forces in that dimension, because this dimension is inside this dimension, the forces inside that's in here is in there. Does that make sense? Is that clearer? The only thing that it tells us about the laws that operate in the kingdom of God, now that's the big, huge place where God lives, is there's a farmer who sows a seed, and that seed comes up, First the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. He knoweth not how. The earth bringeth forth fruit of itself. That's one of two of the only descriptions we have of what the kingdom of God is like. What does that mean? That means that everything in all dimension, everywhere that is, that law governs how things work. A lot of times people ask that, like, why couldn't God just not put Jesus on the cross? How many of you have asked yourself that? How many have asked yourself, God, why do I have to go through this in order to get that? That's a question for you all. The reason that that is, is because God himself governs himself in the kingdom of God by the laws of the kingdom of God. The seed time and harvest, or first the blade, then the ear, the full corn, that law governs every dimension that there is. Every force, every factor, every way of, every mechanism is somehow related to that law that says first the blade, that first you sow the seed, then the seed comes up, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. The second part of it, right after that in Mark chapter 4, talks about the fact that you take the very smallest of seeds... And that smallest seed, mustard seed, or perhaps what your Bible gives another description, it doesn't say what kind of seed it is. It just says it's the smallest of all seeds. Grows up to be the biggest of all trees. And so much so that its branches spread over, all, like, over everything, and so much so that the birds can come and perch themselves in the branches of that tree. And so that gives us the other dimension of how the kingdom of God works, and that is the littlest things become the biggest of things. And so when we're talking now, understanding that principle, when we talk about this concept of honor, 
The principle of honor when your life becomes a life that honors people. Your, that seed that you sow when you honor somebody is, a, is not because the other person needs to be honored. As a matter of fact, you need to make a rule. If anybody asks you to honor them, then you should really be careful about honoring them. Because by the nature, as you'll find out in a minute, by the nature of somebody that should be honored, the very last thing they want to be is honored. And you'll understand why in a second. Before, and so anyways, so there's two words that the Bible talks about that are the word honor. And to give you a little idea, because the English language can be kind of weird, certainly in our new world where the ver- the str- one of the strongest agendas there is in the world right now is to change the meanings of words. That way, it's very, very hard for anybody to communicate to anybody else because if you say, I'm fat, then I could say that's a good thing or that's a bad thing. One of the words is good and one of them is bad. Or if you're sick today, you could be, that could be awesome. You just got it going on. Or you could be laying on the ground almost dead. You know, you could be cool or that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. When we turn the heat up, you can have all of these things going on when we're using the English language. So because of that, it's very important that when we use certain words, we have a really good understanding of what that word is so that we know what God is talking about. And we can differentiate, as we will in a second, between concepts that we kind of think are synonymous and they're not synonymous at all. And you'll discover it'll maybe set you free on some areas as we talk it through. So the word honor in the New Testament is the word something like this, Tim A-O, Tim A-O. And that word means to fix a value on something. So remember now, for you to fix a value on something, how many of you say, in that, say if you see a, a, an empty tin can on the ground, say, oh, that thing's worth two cents. Most people really don't do that. For you to fix the value on something means that you think there is value to it, right? So if you said, oh, you know, Pastor Ian, that's a really nice... Uh, Okay, let's say I had a watch on. You'd say, Pastor Ian, that's a really nice watch. And I'd go, yeah, that's really great. It cost me 50 bucks. And so the, 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 the value of it now, when I've affixed a, a value to it, it means there's some correlation to its worth. And so that's what in the New Testament, when it says honor your parents, uh, honor those that are around you, honor your, your leaders, honor the government, honor the king, all of these references to the word honor, what it's really talking about is for you yourself to affix a value to that person, not that that person says, I'm valuable, you better honor me or the, or the, you know, or the trouble's coming. That's not, the reason is not for this person to require honor of the person below them. It is that we would say, and you'll discover why in a second, we would say that I affix a value, a worth uh, uh, um, to the whatever it would be. And I'm doing that thing intentionally. Because when I affix a value to it, now it becomes something that my heart treats as important. If I don't affix any value to it, then my heart is not going to treat it as though it is important. And then in the Old Testament, it's kind of like a, let me see another word. It's the word kabad, K-A-B-A-D, like honor the Lord. How many of you have seen a scripture that says stuff like that? That word is referencing a weightiness or a heaviness 
or a, uh, a, a value again, but more in the terms of how heavy it is or how rich it is or how uh, honorable it is or how uh, valuable it is, but from the perspective of it being very weighty. And so the same thing that kind of happens there in each one of our lives is we look at it and say, okay, who are those people in our lives that I would consider carry a lot of weight? And I assign honor to those people. And when they become things that I prize, I value, I say, these people are very valuable to me. Then what happens is I begin to become a person who automatically honors them. Because I, how many of you do that, right? You have a precious uh, a ring or jewelry or shoes or car or motorcycle, whatever you have that's valuable, you, I can tell you value it by the way you treat it, right? If you're, you know, treating it casually, I can tell that you don't value it. I can tell that you value something by the way you treat it. And uh, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means that's what you've determined to, to decide by yourself this thing, this person is valuable to me. The other word that we want to take a look at is the word respect. Because oftentimes when we are saying honor and we say respect, we would say that those two things are the same. And it causes us problems because we're respecting people we should be honoring and honoring people we should be just respecting. And so here's what, here's what I want you to do, it's just so that you're, again, you're using the right terminology and, and attaching it to the right understanding. What you are dealing with with respect is that I'm dealing with the nature of something or the nature of an office. So for example, I can respect Jason because he is a human being and he's worthy of my respect even if, because he's a human being. And even if, because he is a human being, he has the right to do with his life anything he wants to do. And I should respect that decision, respect that choice of his, no matter what the choice is. I don't have to support that choice for me to respect him as a human being. Take it with your political leader. You could have a political leader in office in your world who, because of his office, because of his title, because of the nature of what he does, I can respect him for that even though he may be making decisions and doing things and making laws that I completely disagree with. It is still my responsibility to respect that person. Why? Because that person has the right to choose the things that they want to choose. And our, but this is where the problem is. I'm, just, I'm doing, putting together some of these notes this morning as I am well, I shouldn't say this, I'm cheating because in the background is the Periscope uh, prayer time and I'm over here making the notes for tonight's teaching and I'm watching people ridiculously be disrespectful to Liz. It happened to be Liz on there this morning. Praise the Lord for Liz. She's as tough as nails. Go ahead and take her on anytime you want. But I'm watching these people be totally disrespectful of her as a human being. 
And so, you know, they're making comments about how she looks, you know, X out of 10, and, you know, making comments about her clothing and her jewelry and her hairstyle and all of these. And then that, that's, that's inappropriate behavior. Now, we don't, our world doesn't understand these things. Yeah. But we need to understand that somebody could come into this place. You could encounter people right now in your world around you who you completely disagree with their lifestyle, completely disagree with the decisions and choices that they have to make, but you can still respect them because they're just as much a child of God today as when they're walking on water 10 years from now. And we have to be respectful of those people, of those people. You see how that's not even disrespectful for me to refer to them like that. It's respectful because they are children of God. They're human beings. They have the right, just like you do, to choose the path that they take. And our job is to respect that first. Let me just, we'll just take a moment there. This is one of the problems why the church has come into such disrespect in the, in the world today is because we've asked them to respect us and we don't respect them. Okay? So that, and that's not right. But it should not be mistaken with the concept of honor. If honor is based on who somebody is, what somebody has, or something that that person has accomplished in their life. The reason that I will honor somebody very specifically is because I want to be like them in one of those attributes. It's a very important, you've got to stay with me here because it's a very important distinction. Remember what I said in the beginning, we're going to step into a realm of grace here that happens in a human heart when I honor somebody. When I place them as a very valuable person in my life and I honor them because of the weightiness and the value that I apply to them, what happens to me it's the natural force of a human, the way a human soul works. I will easily align myself underneath them. And, it's a very, and, and this is so much so that a lot of Christians honor people who they don't even know. And they're not sure what they have or what they do. Maybe they look good in a bikini and so we honor them Instead of saying, wait a minute, if I really do honor them, I'm going to start imitating them. I'm going to be starting to mimic them. As I do that, I'm going to slowly but surely become just like them. Even though I'm saying, no, 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 I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to be like that. No, 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 you don't really have a choice. Well, you do have a choice, but you have to be aware of the choices that you are making when you are choosing to honor somebody. Because of what happens in a human heart. So let's talk about a few of those things. About how the honor system works and why it's so important. Okay, the difference. I can respect any person because they're a human being with the right to become anything they want to become. I don't have to agree or support their decisions in any way in order to respect them. Number two, honor. you honor upwards, not downwards. I know this is going to mess with you. This is such a big problem where we, even when we start talking about the kingdom and the culture of honor that needs to be in the kingdom, and then all the people that should be doing the honoring are so bugged because they're not getting honored wow. in the kingdom of honor. It doesn't work like that. Now, for example, I can honor 
uh, Joe, because he's here, for example, he wants to understand, let's say he wants to understand the ways of the kingdom like I understand them. So I, he wants to honor me in that way so that his heart becomes open to the things I teach, even though for a lot of people the stuff I teach is like from Mars. This guy is whacked. But he's submitting to that. He's honoring it. And so he, it's allowing that, that passageway to happen very easily from my heart to his. Now, I could do at the same time, I honor Joe because he's a great at doing workouts and he really knows how to build muscles. And so I can honor him in that area because I want that. Do you understand? But, but what we don't ever want to do is we want to require somebody to honor us who is above us. Because what I'm doing is I've got the mechanism working backwards. Does that, do you understand? I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to honor that person so that their grace gets into my life. If part of the deal is I need them to honor me, the, the, the mathematics doesn't work. Do you understand? Why? If, I, if they're further ahead in the race than me, and so much so that I'm wanting to have what they have, but the part of the agreement is that they have to see me as ahead of them, and so they honor... Do you understand what's wrong here? And the com right away, the whole thing blows apart. You don't even have to have... You don't get all the way through lunch before the person God is trying to get you aligned under by showing you how awesome they are and what gift they have and the grace that's on their life and the faith that they have and the power that's operating through them. You're going, dude, I want that! And then they don't honor you quite as well as you'd like to be honored in the process. You out. And you broke the thing that God was trying to bring into your life. He's not trying to get other people honored. That's, you have to understand God. God thinks all that is dumb. The way we run around spending 99% of our, you got to respect me, you know, I got rights, you know. That's, God thinks that's all just gobbledygook, man. He's trying to get you to respect something and I mean, to, to honor something because he wants to speed up the journey that we have from not knowing a thing to, to walking on water and raising the dead. If we got to do it the slow way with a culture that is just bombarding us with worldliness and secularism and natural thinking, man, we got to go to church 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 30 years just to catch up on the first 30 years that you served the devil for. <laughs> Who's got the time for that? We got to go faster. We got to learn these principles, these mechanisms by which our soul stops fighting with the person who's ahead of us because, oh, excuse me, I'm my own man and nobody ahead of me. You know, I can't admit that somebody's further along than me. These are all human things that are junk. They're messing with our journey and they're making us suffer more in the journey or they're making us, worst case, and I see it all the time, people disconnect from the journey because you just ain't treating me right here. Do you see what the problem is? Set, uh, so let me finish that. You honor upwards, not downwards. You certainly respect downwards. You respect upwards too. Everybody deserves your respect. Even the worst of individuals, like going into the worst of maximum security prisons, you can walk in there and respect the guy on the other side of that, those bars no matter what they did. And if you, don't, if you can't do that, should I say, there's something wrong with you, not them. 
they're still just as valuable a human being after making mistakes as they are before they made them. Now, sometimes we need to practice that. Like with me right now, the people who are driving the speed limit on the road. <laughs> Pastor Alex, I got to tell you, they need you to respect them. Set, you don't want to be honored by anyone unless they want, they want to be something that you are. This is a, something that, you know, I had this, this mantra that, you know, I, I say this often to people because they sometimes misunderstand me. I say, I don't talk to people who aren't listening. That's just a rule that I have in my life now. Certainly since I became a pastor, I already talk 100 times more than I like to talk. And so the, the issue becomes to me, if the person isn't, want, isn't coming and wanting the information, I don't give it. I don't just share my opinions with people because I get some kind of coodle out of sharing my opinions. I don't. Because I can oftentimes create doubt in them. How many of you know that's a problem we've talked about this year? If I keep telling you all the things I know about the things that you do, even though you want to do them, I can create doubt and put fear in you about the reason that you're doing them. So I don't do that. Right. And the second thing, I don't share my opinion with people. I don't really want people to honor me unless they want to be me. Not be me and completely. Obviously, that's, you know, the better you know me, the more you think that's funny. But the, the, the honor mechanism, sometimes we require people to honor us who don't want to be us. And that's messing the mechanism as well. Because now we are, in fact, by requiring them to honor us, we are manipulating them subliminally because by honoring us, they're opening the passageway to become like us. And maybe they don't want to be like us. The, see, the God doesn't, imagine if God showed up in full form with the full regalia, all the angels and the chariot and the whole deal. Can I tell you the whole world would bow down and he'd never have another problem with humankind. He doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? Because he wants you to determine that you are going to honor him. He's not going to require anybody to honor him. It's out of your decision as a sovereign being, as a humankind, created with the ability to make all the decisions you want for your life. And only upon your permission will God enter into that agreement and begin to create an environment where, okay, now you're in the presence of the Lord and you're feeling the heavy weight of God and the very presence of God. That's your decision to be making the first step then God begins to put himself in a place where you are just like coming apart in honor for his glory and his greatness. You see that? So we don't require people to honor us. But as a human being, I have to require myself to honor the people who I want to be like. I want to grow into this gift or that gift. Can I tell you something? One of the reasons I make it a point of honoring people who are older than me. Can I tell you why I do that? Because I would like to be older than me. And so because of that, I honor people who are old, even if they're very much older than me, particularly if they're very much older for me and can still run around the block faster than me. I really honor those people. A reason I do it is because I want that grace to be flowing down into my life. I, at the same time, don't require them at all to honor me. 
Because if I start putting a demand on them honoring me, I can very easily break the relationship. How many of you have ever been around somebody that requires you, you, they have a list of the 10 things they need you to be if you're going to be their friend? How does that go exactly? Doesn't go very well. And so we can break relationship with people who we already know in our heart, I'm supposed to be honoring this person because it's a direction that God wants me to head in and I put that demand upon it and it breaks the whole thing. But can I tell you something? That's a lot easier to preach than it is to live. How many of you say, yes, I know that one? Respect anyone, but only honor those people you want to emulate. You become who you honor. This is a key to our culture today. I remember I was on an airplane going somewhere. This is probably, I was with General Motors at the time, and so this was probably 1987, 8. You were probably three or four years old at the time. I watched this movie called The Idol Maker. Did anybody ever see that old, old, old movie? And it was about the mechanism of the world to, through Hollywood or music and all these type of things, to create idols. People that would raise up and become the heroes of the world. Music heroes or celebrities. And then these people who are the money behind the machinery of making these idols, these heroes, were then selling all the Mattel toys and the blue jeans and the hair color and the makeup and the watches and the t-shirts and the records and the movies. And, they would ju- and then that guy would die off and so they'd throw him into the ditch and then find somebody else and say, okay, we're going to make you the idol this month. And they'd make that guy the idol and then sell all the t-shirts and sell out the stadiums and make the movies and then they'd go to the next one and okay, you're the idol of this. And they would just, the, the whole movie was about them creating idols for people because they knew that idols were going to be, would be uh, powerful tools to cause people to emulate those idols, to copy them, to imitate them, to mimic them in the things that they said and things that they did and the lifestyle choices that they made, all of those forces. Can I tell you something? This is exactly the same mechanism. When we honor somebody, we do so because we make that person a hero to us. I want to be like Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is so cool and he does Top Gun and the motorcycles and Mission Impossible, so he's such a cool guy and I just want to be Tom Cruise. Now that's cool, you know, you say, well, yeah, how many people do that? But then you find out that now you dress like Tom Cruise, you wear your hair like Tom Cruise, you do Mission Impossible stunts like Tom Cruise and you do all of these kind of things you're not even thinking about doing that stuff. That's the insidious, well, it's insidious on the negative side, but it's a huge benefit if it's on the kingdom side. Because we are like the little ducks who just fall in love with whatever animal happens to be there when they're hatched, or swans, which is it? It's, uh, what's the bird that? I think it's a raptor. Raptor. Of course. Right. <laughs> you know the bird, I think it's, a, it's not a duck. I know that now that I'm saying it. It's like the ugly duckling that, that goes with this. So it's a duckling that imitates or thinks the swan is its mother. Is that not the story? I'm trying to, it's a chick. But a chick could be a chicken. It could be a duck. It could be a, not helping me, Rebecca. Let's make sure we understand the point. There's programming in the little duckling that says, whoever you see when you come out of the egg, 
that's your mother. And that duckling begins to emulate whoever that thing is. You've probably seen some YouTube videos on this where the, some little kitten comes and is the first there. And so the duckling and the kitten think they're mother and daughter. Human beings are made in a very similar way. When we're created, we're created as divine beings with very little programming inside of our heart. You know how there's like, for somehow, we know that ducks, they get born in Canada, and then when it gets cold, they somehow know, fly to Florida, and then wait in Florida until it gets too hot, and then fly back to Canada. They knew to do that. The, the squirrels, they know that in the springtime, they chase the girl squirrels. In the fall time, they chase the acorns. They forget about the girl squirrels and go after the acorn. That's what they do. They, nobody, they didn't go to school. They didn't go to squirrel school. They, they knew that. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Humans don't know that. They don't, have, they don't have as much programming as you think we have. There is a lot of generational things that get passed down spiritually, as we know. I'm not going to go there. The important part about it is that, uh, that God has given every human being the ability to very, very much so choose their own path. You can become anything you want to become. You're given the ability to make those choices. One of the ways that God programmed it to make it easy for you is that you recognize gifting and passion and ability and accomplishment and these type of things in other people and then you want to gravitate. Your heart just helps you to gravitate towards that person. That's how many of you, if you're a sports-minded person, then you say, well, you know, I want to, this guy is awesome. And so you emulate that. And so you find out that he went to the driving range four hours a day. So you go to the driving range. You, he wore red shirts. So you wear red shirts. And all of these type of things, you, it starts what's happening. Because we, when we make a hero, when we, when we call somebody our hero, it, 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 it ignites a process of emulation on the inside of us. That we're not even, you don't even really know why you're doing it. You think you're going to the store and wanting to buy a red, uh, a red uh, uh, t-shirt because you like red. What you don't realize is that the reason you're doing that is because you have emulated some golf star and called him a hero and now you just happen to like red shirts and you think it's, you're just becoming so fashionable. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> you think you like skinny jeans because you're so fat. It's not like that. You like those things because you see them and you notice them and you want to emulate them because, oh, that person, da 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 da. Now, you've, we're all victims of these things. We can all see them operating in the world around us, causing us to be and become certain things. I was talking to my dad about that the other day. He says, you know, because he's you know, from BC and BC is mostly full of Asians. So then he comes, visits with me once a year. And he noticed, looks around, and he got all these guys with big bushy beards on them. And he says, like, when did that happen? How many of you know when that happened? The Duck Dynasty came on television. And they became really famous, so all the guys decided they were going to wear these big bushy beards. They did it. It's, we're not as creative as we think we are. Let me put it to you that way. But what we need to do is recognize this is a God structure. It's a God mechanism. 
what we have to do is we have to create that God mechanism and activate it for ourselves on purpose. That's what the honoring process does. I say somebody is weighty, they're valuable, I, I call them a hero in my life, and when I do that, my soul automatically begins to emulate them, begins to imitate them, begins to do things the way they do them. When you take a look at Mark chapter 4, when you recognize the process of the word of God getting into the heart of a human being, the only thing that's going to change your life at all is if you change what you believe. Everything else, you're just maybe pushing at the elastic band until you let it go, and the elastic band is going to come snapping back to right where it was before. But you look at the Mark chapter 4 process, and it's like you have to folk, you got to understand, right? The, the seed is sown, and now you've got to understand the word of God. And so what happens to a lot of people is they're listening to somebody talk, but they're thinking about what they want to say, not what that person is saying. They're thinking about some fancy answer, not paying attention at all to what that person is saying. What is that? What is that? How, why is that? That's because you don't honor the person who's talking. Do you want, you want, I want to show you how smart I am so that you can honor me. And so I'm thinking about how to be real clever in the conversation instead of listening to what you're saying because I honor you and want to become like you. Do you see that? So just right there in the process of uh, understanding, of really hearing and understanding information that is being passed down to you, if you don't honor the person who's passing it down to you, it's going to be very hard for you to understand what they're saying. Then number two, it says you're going to receive it with gladness, but then when perseverance, when, when, when afflictions and tribulations come, you really have to persevere. You got to stay in the game. Well, if you don't really think the guy that told you that information had any real credibility, you think he's full of it, and then, per, then affliction comes and persecution comes, and you're going to toss that thing out as fast as anything because you just don't place a lot of credibility in the person that told you. So you're seeing there again when it's in the transformational process that God's described to us, honoring that person that is giving us the information is going to be seriously important. And then the third level of it is the ability to focus all, way, all the way to the end. Can I tell you the best way to focus is to have that thing in front of your eyes all the time. I love hanging, my dad is like that. You know, I don't know if any of you see my dad. He's, he's, this is, he's leaving tomorrow back to BC. But if you haven't met him, you know, he's 90 years old in a few months. And he's still walking by himself and, you know, doing everything by himself. Mentally, he's great. Physically, he's great. If you've been with Bishop uh, Tommy Reed at all, you know that, man, the guy is spry. He's, you know, he takes two steps at one time still at almost 85 years of age. When you're in that place where you are honoring people that are like that, you're starting to let that, that, that vision, that image be before your eyes all the time. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, it's a piece of cake. Heck, they're not even trying. It, you know, Tommy, he doesn't think about, oh, I think I'm going to be strong when I get <laughs> He just keeps going. Yeah. It's like the Everetti Bunny. Well, for me, I'm saying, you know, if they can make it to 100, man, I'm good to 120. Easy. Right. No problem. Right. If I was hanging around people who are, you know, it's 55 and you have them fall, falling apart, you know, what, what's the image before my eyes all the time? Very hard for me to focus on what God is saying if what's before my eyes all the time are people that aren't living who don't possess the thing that I'm trying to possess. So you can see right there 
that when we have, when we have activated the concept of honor in a super solid, intentional, purposeful way, what I'm doing is I'm speeding up the transformational process in my own heart. And I'm not doing it because somebody looks good in this striped blue t-shirt, but I'm doing it because I see the fruit already in their life. I see the fruit and I want the fruit that they have. I'm not going by what they say or how well they say it or it's got good jokes or, you know, love the shirt. I'm doing it because I'm, they've got the fruit and I can see it and I want that. So it's like we got this awesome environment being created for us as kingdom people where all I have to do is honor that person. And can I tell you, something's wrong with that clock, Alex. It's just got zeros on it. We're doing this right now, one of the, can I tell you, this is just now off the notes. One of the most powerful forces that are, that are coming into the kingdom right now, and it, it coming in like a train, is the Jesus concept. That Jesus is the most awesome human being that has ever lived. But can I tell you something? Here's the biggest problem. If you were to line up, go on the street tomorrow, go down to the Tim Hortons tomorrow and, and have a little clipboard in your hand and ask people, who is Jesus? What answers do you think you would get? I would think 80 of, 85 of them would say he was a religious leader. And then you ask them, you mean like Muhammad or Buddha? And they go, yeah, like that. Some people would say, I don't know. I remember one time I asked this young person, I, I asked exactly this question. I said, do you know who Jesus Christ is? And he looked at me, a kind of funny look in his face, and I go, I think it's a swear word. <laughs> and he wasn't kidding. That's what, he, that's, who, that's what he thought that was. He didn't know. This wasn't in, you know, the outer reaches. This was on the streets in Fort Erie, by the way. And so the question is, if Jesus is a religious leader, and I don't want to be religious... Would I honor Jesus? No. I wouldn't make him my hero. He's a nice enough guy. But I wouldn't make him my hero unless I want to be like him. And if my concept of what he was like is, you know, some guy that wears a dress and kind of sad all the time and he's a religious leader, I wouldn't want, why would I make him my hero? Awesome guy, you don't love you, man, but I don't want to be like you. What's about to change in the world today is people are going to discover who Jesus actually was. That Jesus wanted, uh, uh, wanted nothing to do with religion. I mean, if any, you know, Matthew 24 stuff, you know, the whole woe page is all talking about ta religious people. Like, woe to you religious people. Because you're not, you're not delivering God to these people. You're delivering concepts to them. They're looking for God. And when we can do that, when you do that in your own life, define who is Jesus to you. Do you really want to be like him? You see, if you don't, this is why I love Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. When you've done that, over and over and over and over and over again. Because this is where we see Jesus, when we encounter him. I feel like what we need to do is we need to really get a grip on who Jesus was. 
When I started this, you know, I was raised, as you, I told you, I was raised Catholic. And nothing against Catholics. Thank goodness for the Catholics. They, gave, they kept the book, you know. So where would I be without the book? Goodness sakes, thank you. But my concept of Jesus was on the cross. Yeah. The defeated, you know, Savior. He was always dressed in a dress. He spoke very softly. I, don't, I sometimes speak softly, but I hardly speak at all. And then when I do speak, it's generally not softly. <laughs> I have to admit that. He never had a smile on his face. He was always very sad. He was dying for the sins of the world. It's very sad. And so even when I was in that stage of my life, I really wasn't trying to be like Jesus. That really wasn't even a concept. You weren't trying to be like God. That was kind of way outside your limits, way above your pay grade. So you didn't even try to do that. You just went to church and, you know, whatever. And then even when I, became, when I got serious about the word of God and I really tried, I was really trying to be like the word of God, which I guess is closer since, you know, John 1 and all that, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the manifestation of the word of God. But what I'm really discovering as I spend over repetitively over and over time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is I'm finding this guy who is like the coolest thing since sliced bread. Like he was like go up against the... Now remember, this is a religious state. The Jewish was overtaken by the oppressive Roman Empire, but they were still allowed to govern themselves according to their religious governmental style, which was pretty oppressive at the time. And Jesus was just like in your face through that whole process. He stood strong for the things that he believed, even in the face of great, great opposition, like Liz this morning. She just keeps on pushing through as all of these people are kind of, you know, doing their thing and expressing themselves, if that's what you want to call it. The, just pushing through. I, I highly respect people that are like that. Amen. And then she comes up, you know, as she knows I'm listening, I'm in, the other, I'm in the house and she's in the backyard as if you've been on there. And she comes in and she was excited to find out how many people were, were on there that weren't Christians. Now, you know that because there's sometimes comments that use words that we've kind of been asked not to use. And so, but there's a ton of them that are joining on with her. They're hating every minute of it, but who's the sucker here? They're listening. They're there. Right? Yeah, got you to look. But that's, but how, how many of you, you can honor somebody who is willing to take that kind of opposition in the face of she really believes that what she's doing is the right thing. She, she has this funny concept. She thinks faith, hope, and love is like cool and fear, dread, and selfishness is not. I, I that's kind of weird in our world, but these people who are angry and they're aggressive and they're hateful and all these type of things, they're wandering in through our periscope all the time. And so we got to respect somebody and honor that. Rather, we have to honor somebody who's willing to step out. That's a tough guy. Jesus was a tough guy. Jesus was a real, serious human being. And the more you know about him, the more I say he's my hero. I'm not trying to be like a religious leader. I'm trying to be like a world changer. I'm trying to be like somebody who, had, who knew that they were a son of God, just like you are, or a daughter of God, just like you are. And you can be just like Jesus if you allow the transformational process to happen. Jesus even said so. The greater things will you do. 
when you see me, he said, you will be like me. I don't think that means that we're going to be like Shazam when Jesus walks in the room, poof, all of a sudden we're going to become like him. He's saying there's going to be a generation of human beings that when I come back, they're going to be looking just like me. That means that there is a group of people that are going to be operating on this planet in a way that the world would say, these guys look just like Jesus. That was some serious, world-changing, supernatural ability to do the things that Jesus did. I believe that if we, one, put ourselves in the place where we say Jesus is Lord, what that really means is he is the supreme human being. He is the ultimate expression of what a human being actually is. Now imagine when we have a golfer that shoots under 18 and, you know, we can really honor that person because they're really a great human being. If we have somebody that swims at a certain speed or shoots at a certain speed or earns at a certain amount, we honor that person because of this great accomplishment. Well, I'll tell you something. There's nobody that can even hold a candle to this guy, Jesus, as the ultimate human being that ever existed. The more we know about that, the more our hearts can align ourselves underneath him. And when Jesus says it works like this, we don't go, you know, I'm not sure if I agree with uh, what Jesus uh, said there. You know, I, uh, we don't do that. It wouldn't even dawn on us to do that. You know, Tom Cruise wears skinny jeans. Dude, i am got my skinny jeans already. I'm ready to go. Why? I didn't even think about doing that. I just, I just imitated him. Do you understand? If I just now read after Jesus, after I've determined that I want to be like him, so whatever he thinks, I want to think. Whatever he does, I want to do. Whatever he believes, I want to believe. Wherever he goes, I want to go. Whatever he does, I want to do. I've already decided that. Do you see what, that, what happens in the heart of a human being? Our soul now, yeah, it's only 8.28. Dude, I got lots of time. Two more minutes. I'm going to show you another, another mechanism of your soul. This is a really cool one. Somebody who you don't like says something that you don't like, and you immediately reject what they say because you don't like them, and you don't like what they said. Right. So it's like, boop, boop, gone. You don't even remember it. Next day, they go, what did he say? I don't know. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Somebody you do like can say something that you don't like and you still receive it. They could be a whack job, but because you honor them, because you say they're your hero, even though they say something that is completely whacked, you'll still listen to it. Listen to that. So you can go, read what Jesus said, and Jesus could say something, it's better to give than it is to receive. And normally you'd go, uh, yeah, that's wrong. And instead of that, because you honor him, because he's your hero, you go, he must be right. He must be, I think he's wrong, but he must be right. And what happens to a soul of a human being when that word that you're trying to understand doesn't just go in one ear and out the other like you would if you didn't honor that person? Because you're just not interested in being like them. You don't understand anything they have to say. Instead, when they talk, you grab hold. Even if you're bugged by it, even if you're offended by it, they're still your hero, so you're still listening. The advantage that you have because you are able to hear something that they say, particularly when Jesus is speaking, because how many of you know if he disagrees with you, 
he, he's probably right. Let's just go there. But your soul is automatically programmed to reject it, even though you know he's right and you're not, until you make him a hero. When you say to yourself, I want to be like him. I want to think like him. I want to believe like him. I want to do like him. I want to go like him. I want to be everything that he is. Your soul now will receive something that ordinarily it would reject. Now, imagine yourself looking a hundred years from now in the kingdom of God. If we forget about saying, no, Jesus is a religious leader, and if you don't serve him, you're going to go to hell. If we let that one go just for a minute, just amongst us here. And instead of that, we say, Jesus is the ultimate expression of what a human being can be. And show them, become skillful at showing them in the scriptures, this is what Jesus did. Now, the world says Jesus did that, but I could never do that. That's not true. If we can show them that Jesus did all the things that Jesus did because he wants us to emulate him. That's what the concept of discipleship is actually about. We have this concept in the world, in the, in, even in Christianity today. I'm going to have a discipleship program so that I can have a bunch of people doing all the work that I don't want to do. That's not what the concept of discipleship is about. Certainly, you have to serve that which is another man's with honor. Don't serve because you don't want to. Serve because you want to. And then you will be given that which is your own. The way that happens is, is that the person who has what you want is going to impart into you through your season of service and honor, that ability gets into you that wasn't there before. Your belief system changes, your reality changes, and all of a sudden you can have what he has now, but you can have your own. Can I tell you, this is the very mechanism that the kingdom is supposed to be built on. Honoring the, the master, as it were, first of all, Jesus, but then also God gives you people, right, in your life all over the place, people who are your heroes in different places of your life. He does all of that so that he can speed up the process from you to go through the transformation thing. You used to be like this, and he wants you to be like this. Well, honor the person who has what you want. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Jesus, thank goodness he's done. I'm just kidding. Put your hand over your heart. Let's start again. Ellen, you can, t Ellen, you can take that piece out for me. Say, Jesus, put your hand over your heart. Say, Jesus, from this moment forward, I, am, I have become a person of honor. A person who honors those people who are or have or have done the things that I want to do. From this moment forward, I don't need them to honor me. I need to bear fruit so that other people can see that fruit and elect of their own free will to honor me so that the, what I have freely received, I can freely give. Jesus, I can see this mechanism transforming the world around me, so I want it desperately. Holy Spirit, empower me with this journey. In Jesus' name.